idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to a messed up intro to, to Nox Mente. Uh, tonight's guest is Salvatore Antithesis. Salvatore Antithesis is a full-time occult deconstructionalist, deconstructionalist and occasional podcaster. Born in New York City and growing up in Philly, he has moved around a lot and is considered a global brand. A basketball coach and a writer, he is thankful the gulags will have great conversation when people like him are taken away. Until then, Sal is currently writing The High Beyond Metaphysical Noir. Salvatore, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I, 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 I'm an avid listener of your show. And that's thrilling. I love that. You've been so sweet uh, in in general towards the show i'm i'm thrilled to have you here and i can't wait for your book well thank you nisha i appreciate that it's uh it's it's being worked on slowly but surely you know it's uh it's not uh the most pleasant thing to write um to write just period fiction good fiction so here at the beginning, give Jerry and I and the guests uh, just a little overview of what well, I have one what thing. you can give. Yeah. I got one thing to put out there before we start. Oh, okay. For uh, Adams, Tarsus's mom is in the hospital. And if everyone could send some good vibes her way, that would be great. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, sending much love out to the Tarsus mom. We love you, Adam. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Go Adam, on. good good. Good vibes to you, Adam. Yeah. All right. Um, so your your carry book on. sounds the title is delicious. And so share what you can without giving too much away so it doesn't get stolen, of course. Oh wow. Well you know the ideas. You know how people are. Right, right. I do. So I'm trying to think of a good way to articulate this. Well, it's 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 I kind of call it um gonzo fiction. You know, Gonzo Journalism, Hunter S. Thompson. Of course. Are you kidding? Yeah, Inspiration. Of course you guys do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. So it's kind of like that in a sense that it's very it's very derived from my own experiences, autobiographical. I've uh, been through some pretty crazy stuff, mostly of my own chaotic making. Um, but uh, it's what drives a lot from that. And it, it kind of combines all the crazy technocratic takeover madness that we're seeing right now. But obviously, I started it way before this, so I wasn't expecting it to happen while I was writing it, you know? So that, that kind of made it a little interesting. Yeah. Um, and it just goes from there, you know? It, it's a, my way of kind of trying to get into inside people's, you know, soul and wake them up a little bit without lecturing them. Yeah. That's the way, uh, you know, questions and presenting. This is the beautiful thing about art and literature is the there's great power in that. Of course, we, you know, and we all know that it gets used against us as well, but we can use it back. It's a tool. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it gets kind of depressing now because I can't, it's, I, I can barely even watch TV anymore. Jerry and I, cause I'm, I'm a proud Jerry Cthulhu Twitter reply guy. So, <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> and I love I, it. I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jerry and I, would, uh, he said something about, uh, I shared something about a plus size Wonder Woman today. <laughs> um, why can't wonder you know you know how it is these days so yeah. i'm saying about how, how disney kind of i used to be a big comic book collector and seller 
And Disney just kind of drained my passion from that. So going on based on what you were saying, they just, they kill these stories. They use them for, for propaganda and social engineering. And they, they, they put in all these agendas and these political, political nonsense and hide all sorts of weird child sex and other occult shit into it that who knows what it's doing to us on, on a subconscious level. That's why, you know, that kind of work's important to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so you like the curvy boom boom girls, huh? Well, who doesn't? Uh, what does that mean? Well, you mentioned a plus size uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, read my tweet. Yeah, I think she'll see. Yeah, Jerry's the one that shared it. Yeah, basically. Well, Jerry's an equal opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I liked. I'm a trophy I, chaser. I love everyone. I love everyone equally. Also, I do too. Yeah, heads up. I I love the. I love curvy women myself so i love seeing it definitely love seeing it i love the idea of a wonder woman with some boom boom well so, my point was yeah. if you read but my with tweet that, let's let's do it let's get into knox Minter. i was muted i'm sorry what were you saying Jared? <laughs> i was saying a bunch of shit oh <laughs> let it out on us I'm, come on now so I'm, you know curvy wonder woman. Tired tonight yeah okay. no I, I put a link to that tweet in in chat into our chat too and my point more was that comic book superhero comic book superheroes and comic books are meant to escape reality and they're it's the whole point of it is that they're not reality and by and they're ruining comics by injecting our reality into our fantasy and yes. that's a good yeah that's kind of where i was coming from too it wasn't necessarily anything against curvy women obviously right but it, it was what that jerry pretty much hit the nail on the head there it's the same thing with sports you know yes it's it's not that i disagree there's some issues in this country that need to be talked about but it's it's uh i don't want to see it in my sports you know what i mean i don't that's not what i watch sports for you know right it's bad enough that that identitarianism has gotten into government but now it's in exactly. our entertainment. It's like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Governor, let's be honest. Governor, who said that? Who said that? You would probably know this, Jerry or, or Nish, you, you too. Who said that uh, government is the entertainment branch of the military industrial complex? Was that, Frank, <laughs> was that Frank Zappa, maybe? I think it was Frank Zappa. I, I think so. Was it that or Carlin? Someone like that, yeah. Love, love both of them. They're both just All right. needed. Absolutely needed. Carry on. I'll go yeah. back to the chats. But that is the point, though. I like to see. So I'm. I don't have skin in any game as far as you know, like the body movement and all that. But I do like. I get tired of the same old stuff being pushed at us, especially when it comes to ideals. And uh, it's it's clear to me, and it's been clear to me a very long time, especially having been in the modeling field, that you know there's a there's definitely an agenda there and it's a deep agenda so i like i like seeing uh i guess the idea of reality and choices come into the playing field this is how we structure our dreams too when we're lucid it's about an individual thing and especially unless your dreams have been co-opted you are constructing your world in the way it serves you, even if it's in a deep anal you know, a deep analysis type of way where you're you're working through your own shit, so to speak. So yeah, on that note, okay, never mind. 
No, Jerry, go on. You know, I can't <laughs> see you when I can't see oh, you. Oh, geez. There, I'm on camera. Thank you. I need the physical cues, Jer. I was going to say there's only one thing I hate. It's being told what to think and say. Yeah, bingo. And that's what do they do, though, with all of this? That's it doesn't matter who the they is. It just... Well, it's so a day in advertising, right? right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not, it's, 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 it's just time for some realism and not, not like propped up realism. Put it this way. I remember when liberal meant free thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's all, this is another case for upside down world. <laughs> The end. We've gone through the hooking glass. Fucking clown world. <laughs> Idiocracy is now a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary. All right, <laughs> get on with the show, damn it! I'll quit. Sorry, people that are here for Knox Mente, which is dream content. Sorry, we are having a little bit of levity at the beginning. So again, it's a pleasure to have you here, Sal. And um, why don't you start by giving us a little bit of your background, uh, the earliest you you can recall and the things that inspired you that stick out now or even scared you i was definitely a bit of a uh, rebellious child a lot of energy uh i got very bored in school very easily um i think that's a that's a common thing amongst people that end up in our circles um lack of stimulation maybe in the in, within the educational system um as far as uh the dreaming and the consciousness kind of stuff goes. I always kind of uh, looked at things at, on a different level. I felt as everyone else. I remember uh, seeing seeing things as uh, as a kid. You know, vines on trees that were evil monster feet, things like that. Active imagination. You know, as far as dreaming goes, I, I, I've always I, I got into lucid dreaming within the past five years and that's been really cool um sometimes i don't dream as much as i would like because I, I i smoke marijuana before bed so sometimes it kills it but sometimes it also really stimulates it as well and um i think keeping a dream journal was something that really helped with that for me um but as far as uh the earliest kind of things i remember it's uh it's coming up it's moving around a lot as a child um my dad got transferred a lot for work so there was a lot of that. I grew up with, with a younger brother and a younger sister. So I was a pretty normal kid. It was just, uh, I was always kind of hyper and seeing things on a different level. I was always attracted to the, uh, the fantasy and the science fiction kind of stuff, which I'm realizing now as you get older and, you know, you see the Orwell's coming true and the Huxley's and, and all that. You kind of see why later on in hindsight that I was, I was drawn to that, that type of stuff. What what kind of relationship did you have with the natural world? Well, I was kind of, I would say I'm more of a uh, a city person, but as far as nature goes, I always I always liked being outside. Like I grew up before the internet, obviously I'm 35. So I think I was the towards the end of that generation of people who grew up outside. When I moved to Philadelphia, we had a a nice area in the back that had some nice woods in it, things like that. There's deer, a lot of wildlife, foxes crawfish so i was definitely out there a lot when i would come home from school i'd be out there playing in the creek doing all sorts of things that you could almost look back now and say were almost rituals you know uh from a from an occult perspective 
which I think uh, when you get into that kind of thing later in life, I think everyone kind of looks back a little bit and sees that they were kind of practicing these kind of magical things for a long time before they were conscious of what it actually was. And I've always found that kind of thing interesting. And that's, that's kind of the, uh, what I kind of lean to in my writing is if what's underneath the natural world. Like superficially, the beauty, that's all amazing. But I, I want to get down to what makes it tick. The, the, the metaphysicalness of it, the relationships between you know, the sun and, and the plants and, and why trees grow towards the sun when they're on a hill. You know, and you can predict these behaviors like clockwork. And, uh, but at the same time, there's, there's always these things that stand out as anomalies. And uh, you, you, you see these repeating patterns in nature. And these, these things always attracted me. And I think later in life, it was, and I think early on, I, I had kind of a, uh, I don't want to say a lack of choices because I, I was reading a lot as a kid, but I, I, mean, I was brought up pretty religious, um, not like super religious. I went to Catholic school. You know, we went to church on Sunday. It wasn't much more than that. I went to Catholic school, which I wasn't um, super psyched about as a kid, but now seeing everything that's going on in the world, I'm actually pretty grateful for because as much as there, there is a religious angle to it, if anything, that kind of just rooted me in the, the need for a spiritual practice when you delve into kind of alternative practices that involve, you know, lucid dreaming or, or occult work, things like shadow work, things like that. Um, Did you, so when you were, when you were little and with this relationship with nature that you were talking about, you, you say something very significant from at least my perspective is this is always how I've noticed the natural witchy type people that you can look at them you can see their relationship with the elements with with the natural world and it's just apparent to me to see who's who and so I've always just called that like the the natural witches uh and of course you know that my idea of a witch is way different than has found its way through like literature and especially historical documents so I'm not surprised to hear that from you. And uh, I, I just kind of, I felt like that might be where, where you were coming from all along. And then this beauty in the Catholic church separated from all the fuckery is something, yeah, those of you that did get brought up with it should be proud of. It's a beautiful beautiful religion and those ceremonies are high magic to me and i think they also create a good foundation for uh ritual work that finds its way into our unconscious through the dreamscape don't you think yeah that's that's an excellent point ish um it, there is a lot of uh it, it is just very the aesthetic is very um I don't want to, I guess, unique maybe, but it's also very influential. Like a lot of things came out of that aesthetic because it's been around for a while, you know? And there is, there's a lot of, that's what kind of the root of what I was getting to was when within my dream life and when you're, when you're out there messing with this kind of uh, esoteric and occult kind of practices, it's, I think it's really good to be rooted in a solid spiritual foundation, the nature of which is kind of insignificant to me. I think that you just need to have it. You need to, to have that belief to put somewhere because I believe, I believe belief is very important. That's almost my core belief. 
I, I look at belief, and this is kind of almost like a chaos magic way of looking at things. I believe belief is like a mana bar in a video game almost. You have a certain amount of it you, you know, in a day, in a, in a week, in a year, in a lifetime. You got to be careful where you put it. And, and when we look around the world now, everyone is having that mana bar being like kind of Jerry, what Jerry was just saying. Everyone's kind of having it being told where to put that mana and that energy and that, you know, I think it's very important to, uh, have that belief and i think it absolutely you can take there's also something else that goes on today is, is this all or nothing mentality where you have to believe everything or nothing someone says because like i totally don't agree with everything within the catholic church like you said there's a lot of fuckery but there's also a lot of beauty and, and you know i try to take what 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 good i can out of anything you know whether it be the catholic church or jordan peterson you know what i mean like I think it's, it's it's important to be rooted in that spiritual, have that spiritual practice to fall back on. That when you when you start doing psychonautic activities, I guess would be the best way to, to articulate it. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it, it, it definitely. When when you were young, what was your relationship with the dreamscape? How how did you navigate it? What did you think about it? it? It was, I mean, it was, it was a big part of my life. I had, I, I had an active imagination from day one, you know, and I was already kind of hyper kid. So I would, I would almost look forward to going to bed. It was, you know, you, you make that place that you go to. I think maybe we all do this as kids. you have that place in your head. That's, you know, it's almost like fight club, like the safe space with the penguins and whatnot. You have that place you create or I created when I was going to bed at night and it was, it became a, a, uh, a routine to go to that place. And, and from there, who knows what I was doing? Like I was saying earlier, in hindsight, you realize some of the things you were doing were magical practices, you know? And I think that was kind of the start of it for me was being able to go there and at, and at, and at five and six years old, doing some transcendental meditation, like breathing and, and, and focusing on my consciousness and pondering the concept of infinity, like the, the like heaven, hearing things like the concept of heaven, something that never ends. I remember that drove me nuts. It didn't sound fun to me. I was, I, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go somewhere that never ends. That sounds terrible. I don't care if it's nothing but good. These are the questions I was asking at like five and six years old, whether to be, be to the priest or the, the teacher or just in my own head, you know, these, it just, it didn't sound pleasant to me. And these these are questions that, you know, aren't really encouraged within that system. So it was kind of inevitable for me to, to delve outside of it. You know what I mean? As far as, so that's kind of what that place was, the, the dreamscape I was creating. Who knows if it was, you know, me experimenting with astral projection, things like that, whatever you want to call it at a young age. It, I'm sure it was, you know, and it's, it's cool. I, I look back upon those times very fondly. When so still in that space, what was your relationship with the weird, the weirding? So things that, in context to your your space where you were, your life, the things that were considered weird, um, and that that can that can be inclusive into, say, the general scope of stuff, which is the ET stuff and fairies and in the thing under the bed and all that, whatever the context was, what was your relationship to it? There were, it was, it was enticing and alluring, but also enough 
fear to not always face it on fully. Like I definitely saw some things as a kid, which who knows when you're a kid, who knows, you know, cause I, I, I truly do believe that kids are not quite as, as maybe, um, broken in as we are and they, they, they still see things that we can't I think they, they possess this ability that you kind of lose as, as life hardens you um so who knows if that's what i was seeing or if it was just in my own head but i definitely saw a lot of things that were weird i was definitely drawn to it from a very young age i was drawn to monster movies and, and science fiction and and you know i got i got i would get in trouble in, in uh, grade school for for when i would do get creative writing assignments um, I would get in trouble for always writing about, you know, fantasy or science fiction, which just kind of, kind of goes back to my other statement about how it's just kind of people who have that kind of mind that that needs to explore consciousness before they even know that's what it is. I feel like that's kind of stifled for very obvious reasons early on. But like I said earlier, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I was I was among these. There was at least some sort of spiritual aspect to what I was around. Is that were you, so when you were getting questioned in, in school about writing these about these subjects, how did your parents feel? Oh, that's a good one. I bet I bet you my dad's listening right now. Hi, Dad. Um, you can turn it off now. Just kidding. Um, Hi, Salvatore's dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so so how did my parents? <laughs> it's Guido Sarducci, yeah. Arnunzio, uh, like my grandfather. <laughs> my grandfather was uh, Dan, uh, Dan, what's his name? Daniello Danatello. No. Emilio Danatello. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, Cthulhu, Cthulhu is definitely an Italian last name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my, my real last name is Ablin, which is actually Lebanese. So. Oh, cool. What? As far as uh, my my parents went when they were when we were when I was doing these kind of things, I think they were. You know, I don't think I was the first kid too. You know, so it was kind of an experiment for them as well. It was the first time experiencing it, and I was kind of a, uh, I was the most intense they were going to get. You know, <laughs> you know, and it, I was the most intense most people were going to get when I was a kid. But uh, I think that you know, that's a really good question, Mish. I never really thought about that to be honest. So. Well, I, I'm assuming I mean, you seem well. It, it's were they supportive of you in general? It seems like you were a little bit of a, you know, you were their strangling in a way. I was. They were absolutely supportive in the sense that, you know, they got me. They got me. They they, they supported me there in my baseball games, things like that. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I was I was I was tough. I was a tough kid. Like I was always acting up. I got kicked out of schools and things. But it wasn't for like I wasn't like that that asshole kid that was doing drugs when he was 12. Like, I didn't really start getting into that stuff until I was, like, 18. You know, that was later on. This was just me just being hard, difficult and a rebel and not just not accepting authority at face value, you know, and not obey, not being that drone that they kind of want you to be. You know, and I just always was that. And I think that's kind of where they came at. They didn't like that. And they thought, because I think the way it was presented to them was that kind of, attraction to fantasy and science fiction was a symptom of this kind of rebellious behavior maybe and i don't at that time you don't it's, it's the 90s you know i'm just very very grateful they never like i know a lot of teachers told my mom and dad and, and props to you guys if you're listening to this they never put me on anything because you know how teachers are always like riddling this that this the next thing that's something i'm very grateful for they never fell for that trap 
Yeah, that's a gift. That's a, a gigantic gift. And it's against the grain. Yeah. Props to your parents for that as well. And to having raised you, you know, with your rebel gene and everything. I love that rebel gene. You know this. <laughs> uh, this is in the end, you know, the rebel gene is kind of a rare thing when you put it up against the masses. So oh, by, by all questioning. you got to do is look around. Just look yeah. around right now. <laughs> exactly. We've got, we're seeing, it's like a limit, litmus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you need people like us. That's why it's, that's why they want to stomp out that kind of questioning so badly. Because that's oh, why they yeah. want to turn it into two extremes because that kind of questioning is dangerous to them. It really is. It's such a cliche, but it re that's really what gets them. To, that's what you have to do. You need people who are going to be like, look, like this is fucked up. Like mm -hmm. you can't believe what they're saying about this. You have to understand there's this, this, and this interest behind it. Please. Like this isn't QAnon. I'm not, you know, I'm not like at some, whatever, however you feel about that, whatever. It's not even that deep. You've been conditioned to see it as that deep because your mind is filling in the blanks about what I believe because of the same thing I'm talking about. And these rules can be applied like everything to the dream realm. It's it's completely interconnected with this experience we're Absolutely. having right now. That's where half my dreams go these days. Because isn't it, you have those those dreams? I'm sure everybody has them. I've heard them talked about on this show a hundred times. Where you know you're trying to fight and you can't punch. You know, you just like feel like you're in molasses. You, you, you try that. I think that comes from that dream. You know not being able or, or feeling helpless among what's what's going on i think because that's really when you look at young young's work and dreams that's really what he's talking about is it's, it's what i was just reading a quote by him like 10 minutes 20 minutes before he came on the show he was saying about how your mind that is connected to the material turns off its inhibitions when you go to sleep and that's why you start it's and it, you know his work with symbols i know a lot of us are familiar with that it's kind of like your your mind's way to me it's all connected to the same consciousness root you know all these things are connected yeah absolutely and i that's it. i love that you, you know when you carry on salvatore hello <laughs> yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah, now I can. Okay, I went dead for a second. I think I, I think I walked out of my Wi-Fi. That was my fault. Um, we'll get back into this dream what did, with us. What, what did you? Uh, where did I? What was the last thing you heard me say? Um. Well, you gave it. You're talking about the Jung quote that you were just reading. Okay. Yeah, he said that when you go into when you when your body lays down to go to bed, your mind ceases to run the inhibition programs that it has to kind of protect itself from the daily arrows and, and pokes of reality it's kind of minimized the pain that you go through so that's kind of what the dream world is to me it, it's, it's your mind communicating to me in symbols the same way that you know disney would in a movie they're kind of in the way they use those symbols is kind of to talk to that same level of consciousness if you ask me it's to get somewhere in there and then you you're unconsciously subconsciously when you go to sleep at night when you enter the dreamscape we are especially when you're unaware of it more so but i think even when you're aware of it it, it affects you to a degree it, it, i think ideas are being implanted with us that we're being forced to subconsciously figure out that are kind of occupying us and distracting us from our own you know shadow work for lack of a better term however you want to put that you know that constant 
grind, stay on top of yourself and not fall into your bad habits and this and that. The next thing, you know? Yeah, that- absolutely. Is we, so in, like, let's, let's, let's bring this into, say, the world we're seeing around us, the outer world that is definitely a reflection, a collective reflection of inner stuff from the masses, from the, the great void. What do you think, where, where's the control? How, how do we get control? How is this happening, Salvatore? What, how do you see this connecting to us individually, all this talking, craziness? You're talking about reality itself? like the, well, the, well, the apparent the matrix, reality around us, yeah. The, yeah the, the matrix is what you're talking about, for lack of a yeah. better term. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, there's, I'm somewhere, well, I, I think that we have a lot more control over reality than we, than we think. I think that in a way it is it is almost part of the dreamscape when you but you have to figure out what that means to you individually. I think that means something different to everyone. I think there's there's kind of a line. And I think if you delve too deep into some of this stuff, that line gets very blurred. It's uh it can be kind of dangerous, you know, on a couple of different levels. But I, to me, I, I mean a lot of people I've heard the theory that we're kind of all applying like everything is just a collective illusion, it's this mass consciousness being applied outwardly. Um, I could buy that reality. I, I've seen reality be malleable enough in my life and my experience that that I can't disprove that. I certainly don't think it's a simulation from a from a from a traditional angle, like a perspective as, as that. Because I think that you know, forgive me. If it's, I, I think it's. I think don't get me wrong. I think it's a very good way to start to look at it. I think it's very helpful to some people to start. I just I just think it's. I just think it, it, it uh, discredits. It is kind of like the same thing as saying we're floating on a ball in space and we're just randomly exist. I kind of think it's along those same lines. And it's very, because I think a lot of this technology stuff, while I don't think it's inherently evil, I think a lot of it's being used to almost trap souls on this realm within this matrix, if you will. But that's a whole other story, you know? We can get into that's kind of a theme of my book, um, The High Beyond, a Metaphysical Noir. Um, so I, I, I can see, but to, to, to me, simulation theory is, it's almost ancient hermetic mysticism for atheists, if that makes sense. It's like their uh, mind. Yeah, I like that. I like that description. It's their mind trying to wrap this, it, itself around something that's bigger than that. And it kind of is, in a way, a simulation, but that's such a, it's just not giving it enough credit to me. It's, 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 it, it puts it in this box and it, 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 it almost excuses a, a way to not appreciate beauty in a way. You know, to me, it's it's still that it still comes from that nihilistic root to me, and I could be wrong. This is just my personal take, you know. But I, like I said, I think it's a good way to 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 start to to look at it that way and to realize that you can play around with reality, and there are things. You know, I'm a big fan of Rudolf Steiner. I think his work is seminal when it comes <laughs> to this kind of stuff. Absolutely seminal. Um, What's the so in your it, Okay, so let's get to, to some basics here. How do you dream? What does the dreamscape look like and feel like to you? It's, oof. It took a lot of work for me to start to realize I was dreaming, to be able to be lucid. It took me a lot of work to do that because it, it's, it's very often, very more, more often than not, it's very fantastical. Things may be off, 
it's, it, you know, they know how things are just are, are there, but they're not quite right. But you don't really pay attention to it because something crazy is always kind of going on. You know, I, I get a lot of that. Like, I, you know, a lot of people say it's just something just looks off. And sometimes it's, you know, they say I started learning to become lucid by looking at my hands. You know, that was one way that I learned to control it. And, but even still, I sometimes, even when you are, do you ever, let me ask you this, Nish. When you ever, if, because when you, if, when you become lucid when you're dreaming, do you ever get to the point where, yes, you control yourself, but things still feel completely out of control within the dreamscape? Yeah, that's when I, I recognize at least that it's not all part of my psyche. And then I'm in a bigger field. And then, of course, I'm using, when I say field, I'm mostly thinking about the Tesla field. And so that's kind of one of my my little checkpoints is, is am I able to control everything in here while being lucid or am I not? And if I'm not, then it becomes this this almost uh, treasure hunt of consciousness of, well, what do I have control over? And that's when I kind of hone down what's not me. Is that what you were talking about earlier when you mentioned dreams being co-opted? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on with that idea. And I, I like the work that Solaris Blue Ravens brought with the the over the electrical overlay into into that this is where i find personally that it's very important to do this self-work and understand who you are what's your voice what are your thoughts and so doing some of this self-analysis what and I'm a big fan of self-analysis. All the tools are out there. I know this is very contra- the controversy of it, controversial. Uh, but I have found great, I have gone to great heights personally doing self-analysis, although I have had, I've been under analysis though also. So, but digging in one, the dirt of one's soul is important so that I know my voice, so that I know what my reactions generally are and that I'm not actually interacting with the piece of my psyche. Say in the Jungian sense, my feeling function's not interacting with my my thinking function that is now being autonomous and coming forth as a character in the dreamscape so that I can parse myself out basically. And this is another thing how I, this is another way in which I find myself navigating the outer world is when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in a stable mind and of a stable place, I start looking for anomalous stuff like synchronicities and I will start reading synchronicities. If you're not stable and grounded when doing this, this is dangerous water. It's like summoning in uh, Paimon without having done all the prep work. You, you need to be stable uh, because just like Nietzsche, you know, the whole Nietzsche thing, staring to the void and it stares back. Oh yeah. And so that I, I, navigate my dream world in the same way salvatore it's it's always one little bit at a time it's never been one kind of a awakening although i'm waiting for that and i I hear and read that that happens but it's kind of a slow roll for me 
Uh, yeah, I, I think more, more as far as spiritual awakenings go, I, I, without a doubt. I mean, I've had them in my dream life for sure, without a doubt. But they're f- a lot fewer than they are in my, you know, real life or whatever, whatever we're gonna call it. You know, um, and I, I they talk about that. You know what I think a phenomenal book is because I spent some time working in the behavioral health, you know, addiction, criminal behavior field down in Florida for a while. And I read the first, you know, the, the first, I think it's 164 pages of the big book of AA by Bill W. The read the back is all like stories, people's stories from, you know, how they got better. But that book, believe it or not, actually pertains a lot to that same kind of work. And the, uh, he goes into dreams in, in it, believe it or not. And he, he was doing all sorts of stuff, Bill W. And he, after he stopped drinking, he was doing all sorts of stuff with lucid dreaming and, and uh, hallucinogenics and, you're staying with hippies and doing all sorts of crazy drug cocktails, still training. He's still thirsty, you know, for, for searching. Because you know, we, that's, this might be a whole other topic. When it comes to, to alcoholics, when they get as bad as someone like Bill W, you, you know, you approach wet brain and things of that nature. I think a lot of that is seeking the same thing we are: it's seeking God, it's seeking some sort of spiritual peace. Um, it's it's almost there. It's it's a lot more terrible i think but it's, it's it's almost a dreamscape they're navigating you know i think everyone's kind of doing the same thing we all do it in a different way and i think with the dreamscape if you, if you pay attention to it it's certainly one of the most effective ways to do it and there's there's certainly a ton of really good literature out there to, to aid in, within doing that and young is certainly among them even all these what is we're close to 100 years later right with young and he's still as, as significant as ever his work is crazy cool when it comes to dreams and all that oh yeah jung's work is is singular and a lot of a lot of unions that have come from the cult of jung are sadly not to part in my opinion in my opinion, uh, it's it's difficult. I love the first wave of Jungians that were friends with Jung and, uh, you know, Francis Wicks and Esther Harding and all those. It, it seems like the further away we get from that early movement, the more watered down the work becomes and of course this is not a surprise although there's always an undercurrent and there are people moving forward that are edgy with it and as as more material from the personal life of Jung and and the personal life of Freud and how they interlapped and where they came about this whole theory and how they validated the dream existence and and the the power of of dreaming and and where it can take one especially is in their in their personal lives uh and how they were searching it's juicy it's very juicy it's gritty and it it's a reminder that we can do this on our own they had an obligation to try and fit all of this rather esoteric material into a scientific paradigm for their colleagues so that it could come in and be recognized and acknowledged. Otherwise it was still the realm of the fairies. It was still Santa Claus land. It was pushed away 
And so Jung really legitimized as did Freud, uh, although I'm I'm definitely in the Jung camp when it when they separate uh, these deeper esoteric searchings and wanderings and and seeking of the soul and trying to understand what the soul is, and I guess that brings me to my next question for you. In the in your experience in your lifetime of dreaming and with the dreamscape. What kinds of experiences have you encountered in that realm, in that field, that have led you to where you are now with your, with your thinking of that there is more out there, that there is something extra, the encounters with others? That's just, the, oh man, that's, that's a tough question to even articulate into words because so many of the things I see there on that, on that wavelength really exist outside the realm of, of stuff like words themselves. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, some, I, race, I guess the best way I would describe when I run into things like that, it's not super often. But there's been, you know, it, it's, it's often malevolent feeling, you know, whether it actually is or not, a lot of that probably is uh who knows it's egregore type situation who knows but it's it's a lot of the when i encounter things like that it almost feels like it's it's a something that i need to face within myself that i'm not yet aware of and it's uh trying to point me in the right direction maybe same time warning because there's i've noticed sometimes when you go through trauma like when you when you work with in behavioral health you see a lot of trauma so many people put up defense mechanisms within themselves to prevent themselves from dealing with the pain of processing what they went through i think we all do that to a degree and in turn that's why the dream life becomes important because this is a a way to do this on a level that kind of eases you into the discomfort and and slowly let you like you were saying it's a slow trudge i think it's kind of designed to be that way i, th- I think the white light experiences are just almost a a physical reaction or it's almost like a brain's reward system for doing something that we needed to do to evolve on this level you know to evolve our consciousness because that's all when you, when you get down to it what is the brain's reward system really whether you believe in, in evolution or how much you believe in it or not, it, it, it exists to a degree, you know? Whether we came from monkeys or not is another story, but I, I think our brain's reward system is there to tell us, yeah, you're doing the right thing, like keep going, you know? And I think that's when, you, when you're going through these white light spiritual experiences, what is it? It's DMT, it's serotonin, it's dopamine, it's, and what these are, whether, these, whether DMT is a biochemical you know, portal to, to some higher plane or whether it's it's a chemical we use to symbolically trudge through our dream life i think this, this is a reward for continuing to attack things that aren't easy to attack and are very easy to say fuck it you know very easy to, to ignore this stuff and say i got it or the way i kind of try to put it to people when we're talking about these these things and going into whenever you know i'm talking to a close friend who's going through troubles in life or whatever I always say that the one thing that think that one thing we have inside ourselves that you think you don't have to deal with, that you think you can just get around forever 
without really having to tell anyone or do anything about that you could just live your life whatever it was it could be something so stupid but you've attached so much emotional prana as uh, james true would put it you know which is the belief the man of bar i was talking about earlier you've attached so much emotion and prana to it that you've like calcified it and turned it into this thing that was so dumb to begin with you, you should have done it. it doesn't matter what it is you know if you're not facing it it's 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 you're not going to be able to evolve spiritually, you know, and that's when you uh, kind of harden up in life. And, you know, you, you, things don't go as smoothly as they could and, and you, you stop appreciating the finer things, you know, and it, it kind of just stays with you. It's a weight inside you. That makes yeah. sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how large and out of control a monster can get one's monsters can get and become both internally and then externally is projected into the outer world how paralyzing a fear can be and then when you look back you can also see how we've enabled ourselves to use fears as crutches and place a lot of weight on on these crutches to i'm not even sure to what ends to avoid something at the the kernel the core that may be tiny and just needs to be dealt with this is why shadows can be so large and ca you know cast on on the cave wall they can be so large and scary and then at some point so distorted that you don't even know what it is in yep. in your uh in your dream life what kind of how often do you experience and this is over your lifetime uh things that are fearful you know coming upon your own your own fears or even things that feel like they're autonomous fears that seem like they're not part of you i'd say it's a big part of it because there's i i'll tell you one of the most powerful things one of the when you're <clears throat> what excuse me i'm sorry one of those powerful things i would hear about within dream lives when i was i was working in in behavioral health would be drug dreams people would talk about those and they would wake up sweating and, and you know these are people who had been these are like i would hear this from other people who worked there who had been sober for you know nine ten years they come in and talk about waking up sweating because they thought they got high and it was like that real in their dream and it's, it's, it's that the fear is that powerful, you know. I've definitely experienced things things like that, and it's it's it, that that's the kind of thing that makes me wonder, because is that when when I the way I interpret dreams, that's kind of like a, a rogue variable to me. Because when you look at that, it doesn't really make sense from a uh, like an evolutionary perspective, from a a growth perspective. Is it is it just a warning sign, like stay stay away from this stuff? Or is, or is it something deeper than that? Like why, what is it in someone that's been sober for nine or 10 years that they have to, that they're still dreaming about what haunted the demon that haunted them 10 years ago? You know what I mean? That's something I wonder about. Is that, is that, cause for, for me, I don't encounter fear as much as I do. I'd say the fear is, is more a problem for me personally in my everyday life, just in, in, just in stupid areas that I had to just sit and breathe. And, you know, it's just, it's more like anxiety than just pure fear, but it's, it's, 
just sit, breathe, get over it. And then, you know, you, you go about your day, you know, I think that's very beneficial. And I think it kind of might be the same. I think that's, uh, that's why learning to become lucid is so important because especially if you're continually experiencing fear within your dreams, just to learn how to conquer it. I think that's, that helps in, in that area. I think, I think the dream, that's where the dream life is most beneficial. How much conquering fear. Have you experienced sleep paralysis? I have. Yeah. Not, not since I was, I was probably 13, 12 or 13 years old. But it happened a couple times when I was a kid, yeah. Could you share at least one of those stories? It's a very hard, it's a very, it's a very hard feeling to explain. And the night, the night before, there was, I remember hearing, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was, I don't think it was like a cat in heat, but maybe like a fox or something. I don't know if they do that, but it was a very strange noise. Like I said, my parents, I was growing up, we had the woods in the backyard, the forest. And uh, I, I heard that. And the next the next morning, I woke up. It was it was not quite light out, but you kind of knew. You kind of had that dreadful feeling that you were going to have to go to school. But it was kind of a little. It was kind of deeper than that. It, it was. Uh, it felt a little darker than that. Um, a little more empty. Uh, it was. It was almost like you were looking. I was looking for that fear, but it was. It was. It wasn't quite that. If you know what I mean, like you know. You, the best way I can describe it is, is if you wake up on a Saturday when you've been working all week and you don't have to wake up and it's like a great feeling and you just kind of like put your head back down, like go back to bed. It's kind of like the opposite of that. Uh, it was a very, it was, it was a tightness in my chest. I, I, I couldn't move, you know, I, this was before I had the internet or I could look it up or anything. And I kind of just, I, I, I don't want to say I felt another, I definitely didn't see a presence. I don't want to say I felt the presence, but within the, it felt like something, there was something else there, whatever it was, be it an omen or a, whatever, a presence, an entity, within that feeling of emptiness and, and, and darkness that I felt within. And, it, and I don't really know how long it lasted. It was a very weird feeling. It, it, pro, it, felt, like it, it felt like it lasted probably longer than it actually did. Kind of like a, uh, you know, a DMT trip in a way. And there's, there's, there's a lot of theories out there that say that there's not a lot known about sleep paralysis. There are theories out there that say DMT is involved in it, especially when people see other things that they just, that are often described very similar to what people describe they see when they're on DMT. So, I, I, you know, they, they say that's, a, uh, that's, that's one of the things that most fascinates me right there is, is, is the DMT aspect of dreaming and whether it's a biochemical portal or what function it has in symbolic understanding and decoding of dreams. So I don't know if that was, if it was a DMT that was involved in sleep paralysis or if it was something deeper. And the other, the other times it was when I was a bit younger, I don't know if I had that much uh, wherewithal. But the last time I was 12 or 13, so I, I kind of remember it a little more vividly. And I remember whenever, when I was a child too, I, I, I wouldn't really call it sleep paralysis, but I, there was times where I've, I've, I felt things and, and presences and it's, it's hard to explain. Yeah, it's, it's, you don't really tell anyone, you know, you don't really tell your, your parents or your friends. And sometimes you'll try to scare your brother or your sister with it. You know, I've done that, but um, it, you know, you're going to be called crazy sometimes when you're a kid, you think, when you, when you talk about stuff like that. But 
it's happened to me once or twice for sure. It's not a, not a fun experience. Yeah, it's well, I, I, they never sleep paralysis has really never stopped for me. And uh, it, interestingly, it was just recently I had a one and it was the worst that I can recall in a long time where I couldn't get, I could usually I can kind of usually I can get out of it like I, or I know I can relax into it and know that it's going to pass and whatever seems fearful uh goes away uh or I confront it you know there are different scenarios that are evolving for me constantly so this one I try to do everything I could I tried the wrinkle ear of trying to eat it and uh, I was just trying, I was terrorized by it. And there was nothing, I had no, I appeared to have no power over the process to the point where I kept trying to get into my body and get my body functioning and then also fight this apparent thing off from around me. And it was not, it was not, there, I just, there was nothing I could do. And usually rationally, especially, there's there's a moment where you have control. Well, I have control, I should say. And I can, like I said earlier, either relax into it and I it eases up and I'm able to wake up or redirect myself further into the dream experience and I was not granted either option and so I was basically being held hostage in the room because it would guard the door and I wasn't able to pop out I was I was it was in this limbo state so I couldn't whatever the physics were there I wasn't able to so, just look, can, I, can I ask you a quick question yeah of course about, but when it, when it happens to you, does it always involve a presence, or is it? No, not at all. It, oftentimes, it doesn't involve a presence, and it's a. I don't know exactly what's going on, and this is why early on in my dream life, I thought I was dying or dead. You know, I'm trying to get back into my corpse. And how so, how when was when was that what would you say that is like early what do you mean by early on well early on with my experience of sleep paralysis so and still there have been there have been times in i, I just meant like how like how old were you would you say when you mean like when you say early on what when we when are you talking about as far as your life goes well i've been conscious I've been a conscious being in this experience since before my mother and I were trying to figure it out. But at the early, at the latest, was six months old because we moved out of the house I described to her when I was six. So, but she was telling me that the so you're talking about that far back when you're talking about this. So you remember sleep paralysis that far back? Yeah, I remember. I remember tons of stuff that far back. I have a very very good long and hard memory and oh, although although as we know memory is very fallible and it is absolutely tied into the idea of dreaming there is no difference and one of the th ways in which we give ourselves uh 
a leeway into the fact that this is a memory versus this is a, a dream or imagination or whatnot is the is the fact that we can pull up photos or video of of us being in another time within this life. And I am not a hundred percent tied to any theory at this point in my life. It's all on the table, all of it, and then some. So, but this is one of the reasons why Nox Mente exists, is, is trying to traverse this terrain of what's real, what's Memorex and what's live, and facsimile and, and memory and dream and uh this plane and that plane it's all it's all up in the air salvatore i mean do you yeah. have real conviction about anything seriously no 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 i mean i think that's a great way to put it i think i think that uh i, I think it goes back to what i was saying i kind of live my life by this video game bar theory that not in a simulation sense, but in the fact that you have this limited amount of belief and energy to put your things into. And that's how my magic, where magic can work, you know? When you put your belief into this, I, I think that when you do that, it's... I, t- I totally just lost my train of thought. Can you say the question one more time? <laughs> I think at the oh, core, the question is, what is real? Right, okay. Oh. I think that I <laughs> there's think some that, ph- philosophical. Yeah, that's a, that's a deep one. I think that I think that it's, it's, it goes back to belief, like what you're applying your belief to is because when you're, when you're asking me if I because that's what it was. From what conviction do I have? I think it's a very good way to put it. Is what when you were saying what belief you apply, what what energy you apply, what what you apply your belief into is what you're going to amplify in your life. So I, I try to operate my life without applying that belief or to consciously apply that belief to whatever I need to apply it to at any given time. So no, I don't really have any convictions. I don't have, I'm not emotionally attached to any idea. You know, I have my theories, but that's what they are, the theories. If someone, like I was just talking about the simulation theory. If someone showed up to me tomorrow and I, you know, I just saw a great meme where like, you know, you see the silica gel, silica gel things and like beef jerky says, do not eat, you know, that keeps it like moist, I guess, keeps moisture out maybe. <laughs> Did Jerry make it? (laughs) No. He's the meme master. (laughs) He he eats the silica gel, right? And they're they're like, congratulations. He wakes up and you're like, congratulations, you broke out of the simulation, you know? Like if that happened to me tomorrow. Oh, man. (laughs) I'd be like, I was wrong, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me. That's the thing. And that's why it's kind of so hard for, I think, some of us who, who traverse this way to get through because we're on, we're on this level where we're trying to seek for things. And everyone else is, is is attaching emotion to everything and, and and investing in this and that and the next thing. And it becomes like a fight over what reality is or isn't. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, if we all just kind of started doing a little bit more of the stuff that we talk about in this podcast, however you feel about it, just working on yourself in your own way, whatever works for you, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about outside systems. Things would kind of just kind of form on their own and, and in a natural organic way and i think it would be much more harmonious and yeah i think that belief you're asking about is kind of the problem in a way and the solution you're absolutely right and i think most people that uh if when they come down and think about it the outside world doesn't affect their life that much 
Yeah. You know, when what you see on TV and the news and all that doesn't really affect you that much when it comes down to it. And to get emotionally attached and involved in that is just stealing your energy. Exactly what it is. And I think that's what, that's what I mean. That's what we could talk about this. This is, I think, and, and this, I'm probably not the only person to say this. You know, you, you see the way this, this stuff works is you see this, the way this energy, this way, this belief, everyone gets this belief flowing into one place, whether it's a meme or whatever. Like yesterday or two, three days ago, whatever, Kamala Harris, the wrestler, died. And the next day, Kamala Harris is named vice presidential candidate. I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm just saying, like, you get all this positive, nostalgic, prana belief energy flowing towards the name of Kamala Harris. And you do some weird Super Bowl halftime-esque show ritual and channel it into the campaign, right? Isn't that kind of like the, the, the nature? Or is that really just a coincidence and I'm the psycho in this situation? We, I don't know. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I saw that happen too. And it's like, and in my small circle of people, of friends, they're like, is it a, is it a sacrifice? I'm like, well, I don't know. But that's the thing, though, right? That's what, what Nish is just talking about. Like, that's one of those things that's so bizarre. It's like, what is happening to reality right now? Like, what? Oh, it's fucked up. It's, it's just crazy. Like, what? What is real right now? What? What? What reality is what right now? I can't even believe that Kamala Harris, the wrestler, dies, and thirteen fucking hours later, Kamala Harris is named the vice vice fucking president. It's a resurrection. Like, how the fuck does that happen, dude? It's a resurrection. I don't know. I think. My little pet theory right now is that uh, the the c collective consciousness is schizophrenic, so it's exhibiting schizophrenic things in our reality. See, that's good, and I love that, and I love, I like I kind of like SMQs too. Like he gets he gets into some areas that I I don't really agree with, but when he says that we all died in 2012, I find that fascinating. Yeah, we would never like, know. Yeah, and then we're just all traumatized and kind of stuck in this state of limbo in some kind of dream world trying to figure it out. And, you know, that's, that's very interesting to me. There's a few people that I follow right now that, are, that have come out and said that they believe that, I don't know how to put this, the, the script we've been running in our reality stopped or ended or whatever, that our matrix is no longer on autopilot. We're, we're driving it right now. And, and <laughs> that I can go along with because things are so crazy. If, if you left the general public to run things and we did co-create the reality as a collective, this is what we'd get. So you're saying so? Okay, so I think I was it Freeman because I know you guys just have Freeman on. I haven't yeah. listened yet, but was it him who said that? No, oh, it wasn't because he had, he said something similar or whatever. And uh, I like that. I like that the idea that a reality is almost up for grabs. When you're saying the script is done, like, do you mean are you talking about the controllers that are doing the rituals and shit on this plane, or are you talking about entities outside, or what do you mean by that? The so yeah, I'm not a big believer in that whole ritual satanic thing. I mean, I. I'm sure it goes on, but I don't think it really drives the narrative. Okay. There, there's an overall energy that's, you know, uh, steering the boat, as it were. Yeah. And that, and that's, See, I, I think that's a I think program. Whole... I think that's a program in in the quote unquote matrix, and that's what these people think that that program has ended. 
Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, that's definitely. I mean, I, I love that. I, I love. It makes sense, man. There's so much. There's just so much bizarre <laughs> stuff going on right now. It's just to even think about it is like. Oh man, I, I know James, James True was saying that this is the, he calls it the best apocalypse ever. And that, <laughs> what, that by by apocalypse, he's teaming because the word you know the word literally means really, rebirth. You yeah. know what I mean? Revealing. So yeah, exactly, a revelation, a rebirth, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And he's saying that the sun is actually waking people up, and that's why I have us all wear our fucking masks to block out the sun from waking us up. Yeah, is, and that's I find why that the chem, fascinating. Cool. Right. It's also the chemtrails or whatever, the, the solar radiation and management. Everything that's, yeah, that's being sprayed in the sky is blocking those rays. And yes, the sun is going into its next cycle. And it's been said by many people that we've had on even on the show and on the obelisk that the whatever's coming is gonna wake people up and the the quote unquote controllers, they, whoever they are, you know, the system itself is trying to hold that off as long as possible. Yeah, that's kind of what they and that's that's that James Shear was calling it slow burn. They're trying to almost control it, which the, he says is kind of inevitably impossible. But you know, who knows? Maybe they could stretch it out a hundred years for all we know. And when when you when you talk about that that the ritual stuff, I, I think I believe there's people that believe 100 percent that they're doing. I'm, I don't the whole satanic thing. I don't I don't buy that. I think that it's like it's definitely there's definitely evil out there, but I think I think it's almost entities that are older than Satan. You know, I think it's it's cults that are older than that. You know, I think there absolutely are death cults out there and stuff doing weird rituals and shit. Oh yeah, unless cult of unless Mithras is satanic. Well. But yeah, exactly. I think. I think whether whether they believe or not, but you know, I, I believe that belief is is power too. You know, and absolutely. That, absolutely. Totally Alan Moore, is. Alan Moore says that too. That uh, you know, we when you believe something, it is true to you. You can make a god, and it it it, it exists to you, even if you know it's fake. It still exists in your head. Right, and if you can get enough people to believe in it, you got yourself an egregore, which can exactly. affect reality. Yeah. Yeah, and this is when you when you get into stuff, it's, it's just like yeah, that's exactly this is the, the stuff I love. To, yeah, that's what the Vatican did. They created a giant egregore called God or Yahweh. Yeah, and we need contrast. We absolutely need contrast to propel us, and this is why it's important to have these narratives that are uh, that that to some of us seem really crazy and off the top, like, uh, you know, Satan is controlling the whole world. And yet it serves a purpose. It serves a very good purpose, a very valid purpose. And not only that, there is this, this idea that I have always held on to just being an observer in nature and part of nature. And, and that by saying that I'm, I'm talking about my own nature as well, that, it, it everything's playing its part so I, I, and this is a thing on nox constantly there's everything's wanting the light so something that's good for one thing and bad for another thing that's a perspective that's a small dot and it's that proverbial cliche of the spider and the fly how can you call the fly evil for doing what it does or the spider evil for doing what it does right it's the same thing as how can you really blame someone who's been radicalized since they were a year a year old you know for for walking into a building and blowing it up it's kind of the same thing right 
on a, on a, on a more and, like human moral, moral scale. And if we, if we take a, a macro point of view too, and think about what, what could possibly have gone on that we weren't privy to. So looking at context on a larger scale, say karmic, if you, you know, for people that want to think in those terms, but, and I'm using that as just an open example, you may not have the context to understand why something is happening because you don't know the causality loop that it goes back the ripple you know the stone that hit the water and created this this wave all the way far across space and time to where you are where you're seeing something that looks atrocious but possibly at some point was not and these circumstances have just rippled outward to where you are in your dot your zero point, your little star in the sparkly sky of stars. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's, yeah. It's, uh, Dude, let's all take a hit. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Never, never Gary Pastaducci. <laughs> that was a good one. All I got is vape. Sorry. Yeah. So, so what, what are, what are your ideas of, have you, have you had an OBE? Have you had a near death experience? How out of your experience have you been Salvatore? All of the above, man. I've, yeah. I, I, this last winter I rolled my Jeep, I hit black ice and rolled my Jeep down a hill like three times in Vail and walked out completely unscathed somehow. And my Jeep was like crushed. All the glass is broken out. And I was just, I had like a blood on my hand and that was it. I like cut my hand with glass. So, and I completely left my body during that. I, 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 I that's because I remember that. I remember it was, it was one of the only times where I've ever been able, it was, no, I take that back. It was the only time I can ever recall doing it without actually having to like really work on it. And, and you know, you know, you know how it is to have to, you know, kind of get into trance state and med- you know, go deep into that place, get into that vision cycle. But this, this to me, I just remember thinking to myself, stay as loose as you possibly can. Like, don't even move. Just ride this. And then uh, I hope this doesn't hurt that bad. That's remember. And then I, that's the, then I remember watching it. I remember watching it. It was crazy. It was the most wildest experience. And, that was the most intense one I've ever had. And it, it, then, you know, I was, I came back, I was shaking. There was, I was covered in snow and, uh, you know, I, I, I grabbed my phone, walked up to the highway, <laughs> you know, and, uh, the ambulance came and at this, I remember I was just, uh, I'm sure, you know, I think, I think it, cause I'm, 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 I think that a lot of these chemicals are designed in a certain way. You know, I think it was Peter Carroll that said, it's all in your mind. You just don't know how large your mind is. A lot of these chemicals help us access this area, this this collective, kind of like what you were saying, Nish. And you know, I think that the adrenaline helped me get to that point where I was able to just kind of do it in the snap of a finger. And I think it was also a, a, a survival thing, like a, knowing that was the safest way to make sure that I didn't fuck. Because a lot of the way you get fucked up in a car accident is you you brace, you know. You tighten your legs or you tighten your arms. That's how you get real messed up. 
best thing to do is kind of just say completely limp. And I think it was kind of a survival mechanism to where that was the best way I had in that moment to adapt to my surroundings and stay alive. So that, did you at any point think you were dead? No, I didn't. I mean, I mean, to, I don't think I, I, I remember thinking I was going to die and this is it. And like, you know, that whole life flash before your eye. Cause it's like, when you leave your body, I'm sure as you know, especially in an intense situation like that, you're outside of time and space. Like you're not, it's not, it, it, it feels like you're out of it for maybe 15 or 20 minutes and it's, it's seven or eight seconds, you know? It's a very strange, for me at least, I'm not, I'm not gonna speak for everyone, but I mean, for me in that moment, that's what it felt like. I remember going through a, almost a whole process. And uh, this brings yeah. in a, a good a good question and it, that ties into all of this is is the concept of time and how it can be manipulated so easily with with stuff here here and now that we know so DMT meditation I mean how a good CERN. a good bath. CERN, right, on top of the tech, but just a good a, soaking in a good bath and uh, and just sinking into this almost like when it's a perfect, perfect day out and the weather is not hot or cold. It's just absolutely perfect for you. And there's nothing to, you know, no heavy winds or anything. And there's, I don't, I experience these days. So it's usually around 75 degrees and there's no wind, everything's really calm. And it feels to me like another world, like there's a, a, a gateway open into the universe and time does not exist for me. And so the fact that we have put on this robe of time yeah. and then changed it here and there with, you know, Gregorian, and Julius and these different the different systems of clocking time as opposed to say what some people still do the Jewish calendar is still lunar and the 28 day cycle that's a pretty solid cycle uh, with the lunar cycle is a, a nice way to really rotate I think but when we started messing with with this is what constitutes a day this is what constitutes this chunk of time which is a week and then a fortnight and then a, you know a month and uh this kind of math that kind of mirrored fractal started to bring in a whole new level of fuckery a whole new idea of constraint and with that idea of these cycles we then started to have to be accountable at the end of the month you've got to pay this you know at the end of the month the landlord is due this at the end of this cycle this and so on and then you know here we are today we're all just completely battered down with so much that our attention cannot even find its way outside of that wheel, the Catherine wheel. And if we cannot why get it, outside the, why of is that. It called the ca, why is it called the Catherine wheel? I love that what band. Is, what, it, what, Jared? I've never heard that before. <laughs> There's a band called the Catherine wheel. 
there is, there is. Really? yeah there is but it's also i'll just i'll let you look that up i'm it's looking a, it up right a, now for you jerry's on it yeah please do it's so uh, Catherine will uh is an instrument of torturous execution mm-hmm. i see so you're calling t- i'm saying time itself in the way it's been taken over and and we have become slaves to it by agreeing to it by contracting with it as a mechanism of control is is by design obviously these things didn't come about on their own and that we contract to it and we allow ourselves to go round in that wheel. And if we do not have the time outside of it, if we cannot find a way outside of it, then we are trapped in it. If we are trapped in it, then the only way to, nope, Salvatore, we've lost him. Jer? I'm here. Did he walk away from his Wi-Fi? There he is. Hello? <laughs> Salvatore. He's back. He's got, he's got like a six foot radius social distancing <laughs> circle he has to sit in to get his Wi-Fi. <laughs> Sally, you back? What's going on? Dun 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 dun. dun. What's the... this do, little light do, of mine? Do, 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 we need do. Jesus in here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? I don't know. Bring them in. All right, I'm back here. All sorry, right. about, when I, sorry about that, guys. When I dialed back in, it was like beeping this crazy noise in my ear. Like I thought the Illuminati caught us. It's programming you. <laughs> See, we yeah. can't we can't talk about the Catherine wheel. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. So you were calling. That's what I, that's what I was saying. You were calling time a Catherine wheel is in the torture device. I, I like that. Yeah, that's good. It's, I'm gonna it's, steal that. That's going in the book. It's a good one. And, you know, it's the same wheel. It's the same allegory if we look at Samson and Delilah, too. And we separate uh, and we and we turn that into a, a proper allegory for something bigger and not necessarily a soap opera drama drama. So and, and the, the, the grinding stone that Samson finds himself on. This is again, that same idea. And, and we're dangerous when we get time. We're dangerous when we start to have time to think for ourselves. We're dangerous when we're not on the grind, when the rubber's not on the road. We're dangerous when we are able to question and think for ourselves. We're dangerous when we become awake within the dream. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I always, I've always wondered this, right? If when they say, they say, money is power, time is money, money is the root of all evil. Therefore, time must be the root of all evil and also power, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, look at look at the bars. I mean, we can almost just construct. I'm sure Jerry has because the world just doesn't know what a mastermind meme artist Jerry is. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I swear all the good memes I see come across my table, I think are Jerry because Jerry's open source and Jerry makes all this amazing stuff and puts it out in the world. <laughs> and so I'm look I'm like, mm-hmm, Jerry, this is suspect. <laughs> I do make a lot of memes, but um 
And you're genius. The ones, thank you. The ones that I give to you usually aren't my own. Well, you can say whatever you want, and I can think whatever and I want. And you can so. keep thinking I made them, and I love that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's just like I think, like Rick and Morty. Jerry is is really some sort of weird allegory of Jerry. <laughs> Rick is Jerry. Yeah. That's so yes. meta. Jerry That's so Jerry. meta. Okay. It is yeah, so okay. meta. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all yeah. just need to know Jerry a little bit deeper. You and some of you do. Hello. And so anyway, I'm divulging. I, I'm I'm like I'm degrading, I guess. So with this idea though, Sal, what in your in your life of dreaming and in this dreamscape, have you been able to pull stuff out that was significant in your outer world, in the world that you consider your reality? In, and what I'm saying here is anything precognitive, uh, deja vus that relate back to a dream, or stuff that you actually feel you've learned or received information that was special to you and to help you along the way in your and of your journey that you're on. It, it's constant. It's incessant. It's it's never ending. When you start when you start looking for it it's there you know i don't i don't know anyone who's not seen it once they start the only way you don't see it is if you don't want to i think but yeah i i, I look for that for sure absolutely that's uh there's I've, I've had the most insane synchronicities in my life to the point where i was reading a newspaper article about some random college student 15 minutes later i walk into chick-fil-a and the dude's standing right there in the same exact outfit he's in in the picture I, it was like mind-blowing you know like when that happens what do you do like what do you it's like alan moore all i could think about is alan moore are you familiar with alan moore nish are you a fan of alan moore of course i am i yeah, love okay. alan Duh, moore. yeah, yeah. Well, and then know, one of those people that defended him because there are the you know there's always the haters like he was a drunk and blah 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 well does that take away from the message he was putting forward to me no so fuck off yeah, I don't. I mean, he was experimenting with all sorts of shit. But the man's put out some of the best literature of all time. You know, like Watchmen is one of the best comic books ever. What it did, you know, it's so much of his amazing top top ten. You know, not even his like uh, Wildstorm Spotlight, like all sorts. Like, do you know about that's that's one of the phenomena. He did a comic. Not to digress too much, he did a comic about these the last ones they were called. It was a bunch of like superheroes who were at the heat death of the universe. And they were just wandering around trying to figure out what the universe was all about. It was wild, dude. Like, who thinks of that? It was in the, it was like '90s image comics stuff. Wild, wildness. Because, you know these Superman type beings who are they run to this guy who turns himself into an AI machine, and it's just so ahead of its time. But wait, yeah, what, what was, show is it? What comic is that? It was it was uh, called Wildstorm Spotlight, I believe. I may have a word. I think that's what it was called. Wildstorm. He's still alive, by the way. Yes, he is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He still I, writes. He still writes a comic uh, called from, Providence. And, yeah, DC, or, right? No, uh, no, no, he's I, with some other. Yeah, I know. No, some independent like right. label. He doesn't work. He hates working. With I know. I, remember, I as I said, that came out of my mouth. I remember hearing him say, "I'll never work for DC again." Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that's where all the haters I've heard about in the in more modern times that are just that say just atrocious things about him. Well, I mean, he he's always kind of gone against the grain, and kind of the whole reason I brought him up was he uh, 
I don't know if you remember this story, but he said he, you could tell like one of his seminal roles was when he took over Swamp Thing, which was DC, Jerry. So yep, he did, yep. he, he did right for DC. So you're right there. But he, he, he took over Swamp Thing and John, he created John Constantine right. in that run of Swamp, Swamp Thing. Right. And then he later saw John Constantine in a bar. You know, he, he was so in that like trance. Oh, it's own so good. <laughs> yeah, he saw John Constantine in a bar, and then he saw him again once again later in life, like ten years later, exact same guy. Blah blah blah. You know, that kind of echoes the whole invisible story from Morrison, from Grant Morrison. Well, I mean, yeah, the guys. I mean, they're, they're, the two are very you know, similar. They're, they're Morrison both... clearly is influenced, very heavily influenced by Alan Moore. I love Grant Morrison. Absolutely, there's a really great interview on YouTube somewhere with Alan Moore talking about the first. When he realized he was magical, or when it, maybe it was his first supernatural experience. I don't remember exactly what the, the topic was that he asked him. He was talking about how he realized he had summoned something. That, yeah. That he, yeah. power that, of that revelation, you know. Glycan. I want to say it's Glycan. It's something like that. He talks about some deity Glycan he summoned. Yes, yes. Something, it's, yeah. And he, yeah. I'll, I'll try and find it, and I'll put it in the show notes if I can. But yeah, it's yeah, a do good that. interview. Yeah, um, he uh, he also if you if you guys ever read Promethea, some of his more recent work, that is just basically an epic. Um, it's basically an epic, you know, Alan Moore forty-one episode series of Nox Mente. It's like his feelings on magic and, and dreamscapes and reality, and it's just kind of his opus, you know, thinly veiled underneath some fiction about a goddess. Very good stuff. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Yeah, you'd probably love it, Mish, honestly. I'm sure I would. We we start mentioning goddess and I get heart shapes in my eye. You know, big yeah. old hearts. <laughs> An anime face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, Salvatore, tell us about the dead. Your experience Ooh. with the dead in your dreams. Have you had experiences with seeing the dead before they died in real life and also after what just the whole bowl of soup here well i'm a big a uh, i definitely have a little uh i don't know if i would call it a shrine a little area in my room with, you know pictures of, of ancestors you know uncles great aunts grandpas i actually my grandma just died about two weeks ago god rest her soul i'm sorry to um, hear that oh that's okay she what was, was her 90. name 92 Joan McCaffrey. Oh, yeah, she was uh, she was a uh, quite the monarch. Yeah, um, that's you know, a nice man. age. Yeah, she lived a great life, and you know, she was still kicking to the very the last like month, month and a half. You know, that's so a good it, Italian. It, she's Italian, yeah. right? She's yeah. actually she's half Italian. She's my mom's half Italian, half Irish. Oh, that's classic. Well, that's classic East Coast. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you seen the Sopranos was like, you know, you want to see? You want to know my mom? My mother is Carmela from the Sopranos. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's it's, it's creepy, honestly. It's creepy. It's like it's every like, one of my aunts is like that. Yeah, I know, right? Aren't you Aren't you from Jersey, Jerry? I'm from Long Island. Yeah. Long Island. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's and you you've always been on the West Coast, right, Mitch? Are you I'm on the. Well, I was born in the Midwest. She's but, lived everywhere. Uh, You'll get to hear. Not everywhere, not everywhere, but I have lived, I have been around Salvatore. <laughs> yeah, so as far as I was just doing it because a lot of, that's how a lot of, and that's kind of how I connect too. For me, it's often, 
um, geographically, like geographically, those memories often come up. Did you hear that? My dog just like gave me a big old growl. Um, they, uh, yeah, geographically for me, it's kind of, uh, it, it helps me connect to those memories. And, and I think that's always been a big thing when it comes to ancestor veneration in the past, whether it be shamanic or druidic or you know, Celtic, all throughout, you know, the, the Vikings did it. I think that's kind of how they, uh, they kind of connected their dead to rituals in certain, you know, where the resting places were and connected them to certain geography. And maybe, and I think that's kind of where it all came from. You know, I've always had a very deep fascination in my ancestors and tracing them back to where they came from, you know, Italy and Algeria. And I recently just got um, my mother, my mother just got all that information. She's getting to me. She actually just sent it. So would that be, would that cool. be necrogeomancy or geonecromancy? Yeah, exactly. That's, it's, I, Good question. I don't know. That, but you're on the it right track. A, it was a joke, but yeah, just the thought of connecting ancestral. Yeah, energy but I don't even to, think I, I think it was meant to be a joke, but it, that's probably like a real thing if you look it up. I bet. I don't. You don't think so? I don't, I I doubt it. It sounds. It's it, well. I'm going to create it then because it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> it does sound cool, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> People don't realize that necromancy isn't. An evil thing. It's just the, the, the practice of 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 dealing with the dead, you know, with spirits. It's not yeah, crazy. it's like yeah. praying to your ancestors in the end, right? But it's trying to make it real. I mean, you know, it's just taking it to the next level. Oh, no, the, the, no the prefix necro a has a bad connotation yeah. these days. That's why. It, it has for a very long time. I mean, it could have gotten you killed in the Middle Ages or the apparent Middle Ages. The alleged I, Middle Ages. <laughs> as far as in some mud flood here. <laughs> yeah. As far as the, uh, as, as you know, that goes communicating with and that kind of veneration, the guy I mentioned him earlier, the guy who did a lot, woke me up to a lot of it because I wasn't really turned on to a lot of these concepts until, I mean, I've, it, you know, after you start waking up, you start realizing that all the stuff is kind of connected. But uh, Rudolf Steiner, for me, really, he really helped me grasp intellectually how the spirit world works. It's, I mean, spiritual science, as he calls it. I mean, for that guy, I mean, I, I doubt anyone listening this far into this episode is, is kind of like a novice. But if someone's significant other is listening and they're like an intellectual person, and you want to try to grasp this stuff on that level, he is the best person you can listen to rudolfsteiner.podbean.com this is just a guy who just read every single one of his lectures and books out of the goodness of his heart it's all free it's on just go listen to it it's amazing to fall asleep to um he's just like i don't know how anyone could listen to that man because he is so prolific and so intelligent and just such a hard worker and intelligent just deep 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 being how could you not take him seriously? I know the stuff he was talking about because everyone talks about theosophy, you know, Helena Blavatsky, but he was doing anthroposophy, you know, and he, he, he was just unbelievable. He really helped me wrap my head around, you know, even being able, even being aware of the process of venerating the dead as a real, as a real thing. And, and him talking about spirit guides and stuff like that, stuff that would turn me off so much back, you know, years ago before I really started getting into the occult and the esoteric. So yeah, he's someone I really attribute a lot to, to, to showing an intellectual mind like mine to, to grasp these things. Cause it's not easy to, 
it's not easy to, you know, just accept off without someone who's so rooted in, in the scientific method as they kind of train you to be in society, you know. Jerry, will you get that link into the show links? What link? Uh, what's the link again, Salvatore? RudolfSteinerPodbean.com. And by the way, it's uh, Helena Blavatsky's birthday. Blavatsky's birthday. Yeah. No shit. Thank you, Oswald, for that. Oh, hey, Oswald. Now, Rudolf Steiner's got some bad juju. But this this specific blog, it's a specific one. I know. Okay. It's a blog or a podcast? Podbean. It's a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's just, it's not even a, it's just him literally just reading Rudolf Steiner's work. It's not, it's not like him discussing or anything. It's just, it's just stuff Rudolf Steiner wrote and, and, I got it. You know, had speeches about. I found it. And we send it to our private Uh, chat in Discord. Thank you, honey. Welcome, baby. (laughs) All right. What were you saying, Jerry, about bad juju? Steiner's got some, I, I, I can't recall exactly what I remember reading about him, but something either about Kitty Didlin or. Oh, I didn't know that. Something, something of that ilk. Yeah, uh, that would be terrible. Maybe I would have to take all that back. Well, no, I mean. (laughs) It's still the good work, though. You know, like, what are you going to do? I can't change that fact. I'm not saying don't listen to it. I'm just saying I remember hearing some bad rumors about Steiner. Mm. This is a a problem. I've heard similar things about Blavatsky. And if you read into Blavatsky's work, it's a lot of crap, if you ask me. Yeah. It's globalist nonsense. And even yeah, um, Castaneda, thank you, Jer. I mean, how many people threw out all that work because it came out that, you know, that it was possibly all in his imagination? I, who cares? This was, I right. mean, look at Doesn't the Bibles matter. in the canon. How much of that is channeled? This information that comes forth from people, if we can separate them from really good information they've brought forth that has the ability to move us forward. This is a good thing. And and this is what bothers me so much. And we're seeing it in this, in this cultural cannibalism that's going on right now is like, just tear it all apart. Nothing, no more tear it all. Nothing. We want nothing of it. And yet the, it's, why? Why are we doing this? Steiner put forth amazing concepts, amazing things into the collective pot. Can we just enjoy that and leave him out of it? I understand the small stories that come around and how we get caught up in it. And then people in their their ideas of, well, association to that and all this. And this is a point where I feel like sometimes we need to rise above that and try and glean messages you hear this with john lamb lash you hear this with a lot of people that have interesting messages and if you're open to the messages you might get something and perhaps you might come up out of your little bubble and see that there's a world of bubbles and that your little bubble is not the only fucking bubble pardon my french that's definitely true There's definitely only uh, there's definitely I'm a, a bunch pussy of on fire tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Igor and Fuego. That's right. <laughs> 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 
Ay, ay, ay. Yes, so I'm grateful for the Steiner works of Dory. Yeah, it was it, just, it definitely helped me out a lot. Like that, you know, that's true. That would suck, but whatever. He uh definitely uh he, I mean, I just like I said, I like to anytime anywhere I can get some good information that you know that that, that satisfies my thirst for deeper truth, and I feel like it's resonating on a, on a level that's outside of my just you know my ego and what I want to be true. You know, I think that uh, that's a good thing. We all, uh, I guess, we all do struggle with things as human beings. Some things suck more than others, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I remember the first time I, uh, I read something like truly esoteric. Like it, it it's, it, it was like drinking water. You know, this is probably ten or twelve years ago at this point. This is before I was even really deeply into it. But this is kind of when I first realized I had that. That that's what the thirst was. I was reading it. I, I don't even remember what it might have even been something by uh, Peter Carroll or Ramsey's Duke or something like that. And I remember reading it and it just made so much sense to me and, and resonated on a level I had not been able to articulate up to that point. And it, it just it it just felt like getting a drink of water in my soul that I hadn't had for God knows how long, you know. Yeah, very, this, this that's a very important uh thing. That's like that whole ecstasis idea. And it can if we allow it, we can ride that wave and move into greater heights and gain something very powerful you don't have to subscribe to the person or the person's ideas even it, it's just gleaming little bits of jewels that that aid you along your path in this in this grand labyrinth we're in in the in the darkness of the void that we're in and that's that's what's important. So what I'm suggesting is not being followers and not subscribing to individuals and the individual's hubris. I'm saying, let's look at all this greatness that's bubbled up, that's bubbling in the realm of dreams that we can access and and hold on to what what is effervescent and, and pushes us further up into a sense of, of real gnosis and then push further from there. And this is what art does outside and apart from the people that create the art. And this yeah. is what great dreaming does. This is what lucid dreaming does as well. We, we get in there, we're in this field, this field is partly our field is partly your own stuff your psyche the muckety muck and then you realize okay this is my house i can clean it and by cleaning it you realize oh look at this treasure i have over here i'm going to open this book within the dream i'm going to open this tome it's up in this weird attic with a million ways to get to it and here's this tome it's like a video game you open it up and somehow you power up to a new level or you get a new tool and and it does it so next time you're in that dream you know how to get to it, right? You've got the cheat sheet on that and then you can move further. And so at the end of all that, it doesn't really matter how the labyrinth is laid out. It's just that you have this uh, uh, autonomic sense of how 
to get from one point to the next, which gives you, inspires one to move forward. And by moving forward, we're claiming all that is behind us as well. And there's momentum here. It keeps going. Yeah. I'm trying to even think how to respond to that. I was sorry, I'm on a roll tonight. Yeah. That's the Ducci. You're spitting you're spitting out like bombs. Where's my beats? It's mind dropping. You don't bombs. always have to answer her, just go, yeah, good point, and then move on. Yeah. Knows. Well, Jerry and I have been married for like thirty five years, you know. I, I've seen the shirts in his underwear. So oh, that's shit. a joke, everyone. Jerry is single and eligible. And chart free. And chart free. <laughs> and a gentleman, by the way. Is that even, can we say that nowadays? No, Is chivalry gets you canceled. Yeah. Oh, what a sad, sad, sad dream. See, this is the thing I want to ask you now, Salvatore. Is is it possible, so you mentioned uh, SMQ earlier with Did We Die in 2012. Do you think it's possible that you're dreaming right now that this is all part of of something that you are not fully aware of but it's like a dream it is a dream in a way and yet it, the stakes feel real so what is well, what's going on for you what is reality i think that oh man i think that's what it is i think that it, it is somewhat it is some sort of a test of a dream i mean we're i i can't believe that we're on this bowl hurling through space that in this tiny insignificant universe that we're just this insignificant drop maybe in the scheme of time of everything else that has existed but i don't think as far as space goes that's all we are I don't, you know i i think that i think it is a dream i think that we're here to grow and become better and it, this, it, it can't just be this it, it can't be it can't because to for for us to evolve for us to evolve from whatever there still has to be something within us still directing us. It can't just be our outside environment. There's still things within, within us that come up. And, you know, what is the, uh, the, bi, the bicameral mind? Is that what it's called? About how we were evolving. We thought when, when, we, when we first developed self-talk, we thought that it was the voice of God. and God was speaking to us. And that's kind of how we got the mythology of religion to begin with. It's a wild theory. Yeah, it's a bicameralism. Bicameralism, yeah, and I think that that's a big theme in Westworld, which uh, I still haven't really watched most of. But uh, there are multiple themes in Westworld. Yeah, yeah. Westworld sure is amazing. I know yeah. that not everyone's there with me on it, but for me, it is the Fringe. It sur it surpasses Fringe for me. Hmm. It's for amazing. Me it was the leftovers. The leftovers was that oh, show really? for me. Yeah, yeah, that show was just like, oof. Talk about like commentary on like this question you just asked. Like the leftovers would probably be my best end. Like we're talking about art as as an expression of all this. The leftovers Honestly, is that's, awesome. Yeah, the leftovers is my answer to that question. If you've seen that show, that's kind of like it, my answer to that question, which is very ironic. If you because you, you understand the way that show answers questions within itself. Salvatore, is that the one yeah. with the hot cop? Yes. Yeah. Probably, ooh, yeah. Ooh, honey, yes. And that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, like, that shows main uh, level after level of good. And for, for me, it starts with that, that delicious hot cop. That yeah. actor, I 
forget his he's name. He's married to like Jennifer Aniston. It's, it's I Justin. Think. It's Justin Thoreau. Yeah, Justin Thoreau. He Ooh, plays honey. a character in uh, that the limited series on Netflix called Maniac. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah, which is I haven't seen that. Pretty interesting. It's worth watching for it's sure. Watching. It wasn't like incredible, but it's no. worth watching for like an analysis. You're the not going to find a message really in there. Good. You're not going to find leftovers a message. Was really I mean, like good. the symbolism within it. I thought there was a lot of weird symbolism with the AI and the, you know, I yeah, don't get too much into the spoilers. The pill, no, yeah, the pills being A, B, and C. I, I agree. Yeah. There's symbolism in there, but you're not going to learn a life lesson. No, 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 definitely not. But like I said, that hot cop, mm, 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 honey, that had me tuning in every every week or whenever, you know. Well, Liv, Liv Tyler was in it too, and she's delicious. Correct. Oh, geez, yeah. where's my mind today? Yeah, where is your mind? <laughs> oh, Jesus, I need to masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let Igor out of the cage tonight. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God is right. This is, this will be watch. So something dramatic will happen, and then Igor will get blamed. It's eleven p.m. Do you know where your <laughs> Igor is? <laughs> Igor is my egregore. Uh, anyway, sorry, Salvatore. Um, right though, the nature of reality, and and that's where you were tying in the leftovers. Yeah, exactly. It was a it's a it's a very interesting show about uh, the nature of reality, and, and I'm saying. I'm answering this question with this show that in and of itself answers questions in a very abstract and unique way. It's by, it's by Damon Lindelof, who uh, he was involved in Lost, which unfortunately I tried rewatching personally, which I think is another show that kind of correlates to my view on things. You know, it's, it's easier to describe this by artists. That's kind of what, that's kind of what to bring this full circle, it's kind of what um, the high beyond is all about. Is, is kind of just putting my toe, my my theory of everything, into this somewhat fictionalized world within a world. It's about a world that operates underneath, you know, that the stuff that we care about, the things that we're looking for, the world that exists underneath the world. That's what it's about to a more dramatized degree, where you know, things are things are happening, occult happenings are happening to some people in a, in a more exaggerated degree and that's about the only place it's fictionalized and that's where, where i'm trying to show my view of reality and there's a lot of these these shows you know they speak to me and like mish said i think they're they're even when you're using your imagination you're still channeling things you're still pulling things out of somewhere you're still i think you know i said it before a lot of things are magic before people understand that they're magic or however you want to know that word has a lot of connotation behind it and it's heavy and but i think that it's very important and i think art is one of the best ways to express it and i've, I've definitely pulled a shitload of short stories as a writer and things of that nature um there's by the way if you go to my twitter it's at sal antithesis there's a link to like a medium out a few like flash fiction pieces and whatnot up there um but that's what i try to do i just try to you know pull things from everywhere and, and, and apply it to my reality and, and, and channel what I can from this place that we're all kind of trying to reach in our own way. And well, what do you think? So what is the soul to you? Definitely not a random collection of synapses firing. Um, it's, it's something that exists 
outside of our physical body, right? We're kind of like a, a, a Mitsu mech warrior. Um, it, it is what's on after and, and goes to the next to the next realm that you're talking about. Like which reality, what the layers upon layers of reality that there are, where, wherever these things go to exist, the egregores, there's things out there that your soul is an everlasting piece of energy of light, a divine spark, if you will, is the thing that you access when, when I'm in the flow state. Like I most, the, the place that's easiest for me to get into a flow state, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball coach. I play basketball all my life. There's times where I can get into the basketball court and I can just completely control reality. It's like, um, it doesn't happen often. It's not, but you, you've seen it. You've seen it on TV if you watch sports. You've seen people, there's, there's an, it, there's an, arbitrary thing that we all possess within us that like, some people excel much better when the pressure is on. They can't do anything until they feel this immense amount of pressure. When they feel this pressure, they always perform. They're always there. That's an aspect of reality that is immeasurable. It's, it's impossible to really quantify that, to really measure it and say, this is that. It's some sort of intangible that exists that makes things more than the sum of their parts. That I think it's things like that that cause people to realize that there is more out there. Because we have this power, this divine spark that comes from our soul that allows us to do things of this nature. And everyone kind of has it in a different way that allows them to access different talents and abilities that allow us to work kind of harmoniously, potentially at least, or at least in small communities, as some sort of fucking weird superorganism whatever we are because as, as much as you look at the world and you see the evil you see the lies and you see the controllers that stuff is kind of necessary like you kind of need bullshit like you can't really be truly happy without experiencing some bullshit you know you can't the the the, the, the lower you go the higher you can get you know? yeah oh it's, yeah yeah I, you know i i absolutely am with you on that it's so necessary and and we're better and think about every time you've gone through something adversarial some struggle some pain some depression anything that made you stretch push further that once you've come through something difficult there is a certain you know the payoff is really big internally it's a very, you may it, it may not appear that way at first but ultimately, down the road, the payoff from, from these kinds of hardships is huge. And on that soul level, and I'm with you, Sal, that there is, for me, there is no doubt in, I have no doubt, I feel like I've, I've always had this feeling, like from my first memory of coming in going, oh shit, I mean, I'm, I'm having a sleep paralysis mode than realizing I'm in a little baby suit uh, that from that moment I, I knew I was more than this and more than synaptic responses and and uh, neurons and and nerve endings and flesh and all that and so even when I was the most closed off in my life I still felt that spark it was still there and it was still there behind my eyes. You know, you can look at people and see 
who's got that. It really does shine. And so there, that's enough for me. I don't know what else to say. That is actually enough for me. But then once you start piling on successes from being downtrodden and you get a sense of, oh, this is, this is, this is actually a good thing. And you move forward with that. It becomes, this is for me, this is when the idea of game like started to come in. So, you know, you get a little bit older and you realize like Saturn return 27 to 30, you start realizing that really these, this patterning is very similar, of course, to what our oral traditions and our stories that turned into games board games, jump rope games, video games, now VR games, they're all tied in and back to a, some sort of spark, some sort of source. They're mirroring out. And that perspective alone has always kept me above board is feeling triumphant rather than a victim. And having had a very, very difficult early part of my my life. First half of my life was very substantially difficult under anyone's terms. And so uh, I feel like the soul is something in us that is, that is eternal. And we, we absolutely can embrace it and allow it as a fountain of youth to wash over us and move us forward. And part of this is the idea of awakening within the dream of becoming lucid now. Yeah. Isn't that what getting red pill does though? Absolutely, Jerry. That's absolutely it. I mean, that's just another way of saying it. And that's yeah. there's so many, right? Look how many people are st- now really under the weight of all that's going on are in their own ways. Everyone's got their own way of expression and looking at it. And in that way, the snowflake thing works for me. It doesn't work as a mechanism of self-deprecation and uh, special behavior and cancel culture and all the grossness, but in the way that we all come to our own conclusions and awakenings in a unique way. And that's what's beautiful. There's where the beauty is in, in the cutting of the paper to, uh, you know, a snowflake piece of parchment that gets burned like a prayer and thrown out into the winds you know, and blown by the winds of our soul. So profound. Oh, isn't it though? I'm feeling it. I should have a cocktail. <laughs> it's it's been it. like it's been like six weeks. I'm, I'm gonna have that it. tattooed on my chest. <laughs> I should have a cocktail. <laughs> no, whatever she just all blown in the wind oh. things believe. I don't oh. I forgot. I'm already. actually gonna have a cocktail this Friday with my girls. Do you want to give yeah. a shout out to our thirty three live viewers right now? Oh yeah! Hey, thirty-three, Muxman, hey, 33. 33. thirty-three. We, we love y'all, and usually Salvatore is out there, right, Sal? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the live chat every so often. I usually catch it. It's a great podcast to listen to, like when I go, you know, I go to bed at like ten o'clock, listen for an hour and a half, fall asleep afterwards. It's perfect podcast before bed. I think you're talking about dreams and whatnot often, you know. What do you, so in, and I'm sure Jerry's asked if there are questions or anything, but what, so I'm, I'm kind of getting close to wrapping here. Yeah, what, 
give us so before like plugging anything what are your ideas uh hold on wrap this up with the something dream related for you that has been profound just really the act of of taking the energy to to do the work to become lucid and to keep a dream journal i think those are two things in my life that have have had really the most profound effects of, of and besides the dreams themselves and having really you know, I feel like the more I did that, the more intricate, and I think Nish was saying it earlier, you get to this tome, et cetera, et cetera, and you remember how to get to that tome, and you go from there, it's like Zelda, you know, whatever. I think that's what she compared it to. I think it's very similar to that. For me, that's what did it. It was the the work to become lucid, um, really concentrating it. For me, it was starting during the day and looking at my hands and asking myself if I was in a dream or not. And it's it's a simple act, and it started with that, and eventually I, I just started doing it in my dreams. It it took a while, it took a very long while, really. But doing that led me to more consciously be able to interpret the symbolic nature of my un and subconscious, as well as leading me down the path of like trying to get into remote viewing. And I think find that a lot more difficult. Because having OBEs in my past and things of that nature, that's a uh, that's that's a pretty cool um, it's a pretty cool path to go down. It's it's I think it's good because ever since I was a kid, you know, I've kind of had that place. I think anyone that would be drawn to a podcast like this probably feels pretty similar. But to have that place to go that you kind of create on, on your own, you know, whether that I think that that foundation is what leads to being able to do the work in the dreamscape and in real life to kind of not get bogged down by how dark and out of control reality is getting right now because things right now are really wild like we there really is not much of a dif differentiation anymore like honestly nine times out of ten my dream life is way more quote-unquote normal than what's going on in reality like i'm i dreams like you go to a restaurant and everyone's just eating and it's and it's full you know like that's like a weird bizarre thing now yeah oh yeah absolutely well that's part of what is strange about so traditionally you know like finding your hands in the dream you're looking for signals that are out of place to let your your analytical mind know that something's different and you may be dreaming and and so now with the world having gone through the hooking glass and we're looking at this inverse type of reality right like world, what looks out of place yeah exactly yeah <laughs> it's all out of place everything is so bizarre that it, it i think it really is a good exercise right now to question to question and this is in line with all the stuff we already know about deep fakes new holographics all you know all the stuff that's not in the woo woo realm that's actually out there with people like you know organizations like MIT getting behind them and and not to mention all the government stuff what is real honest honest that is that anymore is not just uh well, a isn't that kind of the point? question 
isn't that kind of the whole point of what they're all doing? Aren't they just, isn't everything they're doing just a unnatural replication of something natural? Aren't they yes. really just, just creating their own reality? Which to me, it feels like the end game of maybe trapping souls, consciousness, divine sparks within this realm. Jerry, who was just talking about that with us? It was, I think it was Max Egan. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and he was. Uh, saying, I, I need to listen to that. I can't wait to listen to that. Oh, it's so good. We we all love Max, and, and he was really, really parsing that out in a way that made a lot of sense to me. But Max always makes sense to me. So right, yeah, he's well, great. It, I love Max Egan. With that that in mind, though, I mean, we do need to look at this seriously and go, well, it what it, what is the game here? I mean, it's got it's above it's above a political system that's happening on the world. Yes, that's happening, and that's part of what's questioning why we should be questioning this reality. Period, because it's happening at a global scale. And yes, we can see documents, you know, from. ISIS unveiled and you know we can see long-term plans and dystopian literature and art telling us that this is an idea that exists within our own collective unconscious but here we are and it doesn't matter how we got here now we're here so let's examine all this stuff and and stop bickering amongst ourselves as to how we got here let's start really questioning what do we do now that we're here and by starting with that is what the hell is real yeah seriously what the hell is real i could be a bot right now seriously that way deep fakes are my voice could be complete i could be an ai so and there's nothing i can do to convince you that i'm not you know what I'm saying? This is where we're at. And that's a very dangerous place. That's that whole double thing where, you know, you're shooting. Who do you, which one do you shoot? You know, when you see seeing something go on. I know someone who thinks that like all the news is generated that way. Like well, the people it, on TV aren't real. They're just, just like Don Lemon is just uh, some kind of deep fake AI thing. Well, the tech is there now, Jaren. It's not even disputable. So it's possible, right? It is. It is possible. It's, and that's the thing. That's the very first step towards lucidity is saying it is possible. This is possible. And moving further into those ideas makes lucidity one step closer to being a full-on OBE. And, I think and right I'm now, reinversing it back into the dream realm. I, I think right now, one of the most important things you could do to be lucid is, is A, to ask that question, and B, it's to understand that there are ideas out there that are going to be hated on and not to fall into this trap of hating everything or listening to nothing. You have to love everything or nothing, someone says. You know what I mean? You can't you can't fall into that trap because there's so much. So like, I've learned like two or three new ideas, just three or four new ideas tonight about the nature of reality that I love. Like, you know, you can't, I don't, you don't have to, like I can draw from all of those. I think it's so important to understand that and keep that in mind. Yeah. And not fall into the trap of two extremes. 
Absolutely. That, and that is a trap. And then I have one last question and I'm finished is, so you've said a couple of times you're a basketball coach. How tall uh-huh. are you, Salvadore? I'm six foot one. Okay. Did yeah. you, did you <laughs> see that question in chat or did you just I'm come up I'm not in chat. It? No, Jerry. You God don't want to in chat. I start mentioning stuff. Why is that? No, that question logically had to come up. Uh, up. Was it Oswald? uh no but that just seems like a logical question oswald's question was where is it here i I lost it do you know someone else asked that actually what do you think of neil what do you think of neil gaiman oh dude i mean neil gaiman has some great stuff sandman um Good omens. Yeah, good omens. Uh, he, Stardust. He a, yeah, phenomenal writer. He's a phenomenal yeah, writer. I agree. Um, had to talk to girls at party. Like, there's so many things I can't even think of right now. He's a great writer, though. He's kind of fallen onto the whole, like, you know, how it is now. Uh, influencer, blue check bullshit. Yeah, but he's lefty. That's what I mean. It's, he's, that's, I liked he's it better of, when we didn't know our uh, idols political nature <laughs> exactly like that's exactly what we were talking about earlier like I, I i my fantasy is my fantasy my escapism is my escapism that's why i haven't watched westworld because then my i can't turn my mind off and watch that show i need like a notebook and a pen in front of me to watch that show there's that that show so loaded with ideas that i want to like break down and crack open you know i can't some of them hidden and some of them you know intentionally part of it you know i think not necessarily hidden, but I think a lot of these like shows like Westworld are, are being used to prepare us for things that are coming down the line, for sure. As far as what's real and what isn't, the lines are going to get even more blurred because of things like that. Yeah. it's This is what's great, though. And having these kinds of chats, I think, take us further along and hopefully more people can have these kinds of chats and and with some laughter and jokes i am so saddened to see how serious everyone is i i hope to never lose the levity ever you know as long as i've got breath there's igor and as long as there's igor there's a laugh so <laughs> on that note <laughs> It's been a great pleasure. Salvatore. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks a lot yes. for having me on, guys. This was a blast. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to, my dog's bugging me right now, so I'm probably going to take him out and then listen to Max Egan. Oh, yeah. what kind of Get dog? Get a double dose. Get a double dose of Jerry and Niche. Um, <laughs> I, got a, I got a Border Collie Pitbull mix. He just turned four. Oh, what a sweetie pie. I love the yeah, animals. You know that. Yes, More than I do. people's. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Sal. It's been great. Thank you, Nish. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Next week, we've got another Nox Mente, because I scheduled everything wrong, even though it's a new <laughs> one. So next week's Nox Mente with Stacy Jewell from the Bejeweled Podcast, host of. And the week after that, we'll be back to an ox. We'll be back to an obelisk with, I think, Alex Stein. And you know what? Is that right? I want to just, Jer, I want to say something here. What would I do? No, not to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> but to people out in the world that find this, this our little underground podcast, that the Nox Mente is has always been about. Oh yeah, yeah. 
dream dreams and and all that go along with it and how we interplay dreams into the world and and we veer off sometimes and we're veering off more these days we jerry and i don't have rules and this is open source and so just know that our other show the obelisk is not nox mente and there if dreams come into it it's because they came into a conversation but that show is not about dreams uh, but as far as I'm concerned, everything is about dreams. So people coming in need to understand that difference because we got a very ugly feedback that uh, absolutely kind of triggered me in a way because if they'd actually been listening, they'd realize this difference before leaving such an ugly, ugly set of words to soil. Or it was just a hater. Well, yeah, of course, I think it is just a hater. And so that I just want to make that clear. And there are differences. And and we all have choices. If you don't like the show, don't listen. It's that simple. I do that in my life. It's a really great thing to do. Have choice and exercise it. Yeah. With that note, honey, I love y'all. Okay. <laughs> all right, everybody. Have a great night. And thanks so much for yeah. listening. Thanks a lot, guys. Take it easy. Smash that like button.